Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Before we get into a part of the study that um, I think you'll find very interesting, I want to share with you an, another interesting detail. Last week, I, was, I read to you an article from the Times of Israel about some difficulty that had taken place when um, some Christians and Messianic Jews were praying in Jerusalem and the deputy mayor of Jerusalem and some wayward, um, apparent Orthodox were trying to stop them. And what was so interesting is the chief Sephardic rabbi of Jerusalem stood up publicly for the believers, which is very, very unusual. Now I want to give you more of the story. And it comes from Liz Stout. Liz, uh, we know as Liz Herman when she was uh, just a child growing up in Rochester, New York with us in the congregation, Congregation Shema Yisrael. There, the Herman family was a great family in the congregation. And um, Liz's dad, Mark, was a, a hospitable, friendly person, and he was a greeter, and he was also the host for our monthly men's breakfast. We'd come to his house and have this great breakfast together, and it was, it was really spiritual. The whole family kicked in, and then later on, the uh, youth group would meet there at their house. They had a swimming pool, too. It was a nice place to go. Deanne is remembering some of these things. Um, and Pam Herman, um, Liz's mom was also involved in, I'm going to test your knowledge of antiquities here. She was involved in mailing lists and newsletters. How many of you have ever heard of a mailing list? Yeah. How many of you have ever read a newsletter uh, printed on paper? And, and Pam worked in that area professionally, and she was involved in producing a newsletter for the congregation for Hero Israel Ministries. It was before the days of desktop publishing when you couldn't do it on your own. It was before the days of um, all that we're familiar with now. There were no social media networks and things like that. It was old school communication. And she was faithful in serving in that way. The, the family was really a faithful family and a great family. And a number of uh, the Herman children have come into ministry. They're serving the Lord in a variety of ways. Liz married her husband, Simon Stout. And they are living in Jerusalem now, have been living there for several years. And Liz wrote... Um, to us just a few days ago after hearing the podcast from last week. Now remember, we've got three digital formats, if you will. We've got the, the live stream, which is 
being broadcast live on YouTube and Facebook, and then we've got the videos from those live streams, which take place on the same media. And we've also got podcasts, an audio version that we have been doing long before Facebook existed, I believe. For 17 years it will be. Had over 1,500 messages and we've reached people all over the world. And Liz wrote, and I'm just gonna read some parts of this. And she says, I hope that you and Sandy are doing well. I regularly listen, listen to your teachings by podcast. And I wanted to write you to encourage you about what you spoke about last week. So I found that interesting. I don't know if you know it, but Simon and I moved to Jerusalem about three years ago, and they're serving in Messianic ministry, working with, Simon's working with the arts community, and she is working with children and youth. And they were at the Southern Steps on May 28th at that Shavuot Pentecost prayer event in Jerusalem and they experienced hatred of people there. But you know what they did? They blessed them. This is what she's reporting. We blessed them, we didn't curse them, and amazingly, we were let through by the police who created a barricade for us. And she said, there's definitely a shifting happening in Israel and in Jerusalem in this time, but what I wanted to tell you that I thought would encourage you is about the Sephardic chief rabbi of Jerusalem. And then she gives me some information from her Korean friend, Shani, who said, when the Korean team came a few months ago, there was a picture of this rabbi hanging on the wall in the rented house where they were staying. God gave them a heart to pray for this rabbi. We put our hands on the rabbi's picture and we prayed and they described some of those prayers and then uh, Shani writes, I just saw an article where this same rabbi scolded yeshiva students who persecuted Christians. I realized this was the rabbi we prayed for when we were holding hands together in Jerusalem. We're amazed that God hears our prayers and works wonderfully. We planted the seeds through prayer and God works amazingly, so we cannot stop but praise him. And then Liz continues, it truly is a miracle. We've seen other amazing things happening. An American yeshiva student just came to faith two weeks ago and he just shared the gospel with his girlfriend who's modern Orthodox. God is moving on the hearts of the English speakers in Jerusalem and Israel who have typically been the hardest to reach. Please give Sandy a big hug from me. Hope to see you someday soon in Jerusalem. So that was so encouraging. And I was encouraged to hear from Liz. She was encouraged to hear that we're talking about these matters. And there's a backstory. There's always a backstory. There's more that God is doing. And I can think about this, that um, Liz was just a little girl and then she was a teenager and now she's a married woman and a mother and she's living in Jerusalem serving the Lord there and serving as a Messianic Jew. And so I I tell you this because to me it's it's really powerful to, to raise up families who love the Lord and have a clear identity 
and are not afraid to be clear about who they are and to serve the Lord with integrity and to serve the Lord in a genuine way. And so, take heart. You never know who a little child is going to turn out to be. Isn't that the story about Yeshua? Isn't that the story about King David? It's the story of our people. It's the way that God works. He takes little children and He pours His Spirit out on them and He raises them up. That's part of the Shavuot message. It's part of our life as a, as a community. It's part of our experience. And we should give thanks to the Lord. We should be so glad that all of this knits together. And if you think about it, a newsletter was and, and cassettes, if you can remember that. How many remember cassettes? Okay. Newsletters, printed newsletters and cassettes were a way of communicating to people far and wide long ago. And now we do it largely through digital means, through podcasts, through live stream, and, and so forth. And what we're doing here as a community fits into the context of what God Himself is doing all over the world. So I want to encourage you, take heart. Take heart and recognize this, that God uses us together to raise up generations. And you know how you raise up children? It's a little bit at a time, thank goodness. Thank goodness they're not born as teenagers. That would be impossible. Thank goodness that we have great opportunity to serve children, to serve with children, for children to serve with us. That's a great joy, isn't it? And so commend, commend those who are serving in, in the Shabbat school. When you see the teachers, tell them that you're encouraged by their ministry. And when you see children here in the congregation, have eyes of faith when you're looking at them and looking at teenagers and young adults and realize there is more to come with them. They have a life ahead. God has plans. He has hope. He has a future. He knows what he's trying to do. And that's part of what was so encouraging. Liz is writing us, and I'm thinking of Liz both as a child, and I'm thinking of her as a woman. And I'm thinking she, just by her Communication is encouraging, but she's also giving another message, and that is when we're praying, when they're praying, and we are apprehending what is in the heart of God, He works powerfully. So take heart and be encouraged. And that really is an introduction to our study because this week's Torah portion is telling us about the way that the ten spies missed their opportunity. And they contributed to the whole community missing their opportunity to go into the promised land. And when I say the whole community, it actually was most of the community, all of those who received the bad report and who took that negativity into their hearts and minds. Um, the spies were sent out to spy the promised land, and most of them came back with a bad report. Let's say that out loud, bad report. 
a number of Israel sages have said it's dangerous to give a bad report about Israel. They lost sight of what God wanted to do and what God had promised to do. He was preparing to give the promised land to the children of Israel, but their hearts were not open to what God was doing. That was the cake the case with the yeshiva students and the deputy mayor in Jerusalem just these weeks ago who were protesting and trying to stop what God was doing. But the prophet Zechariah had told Israel that there's coming a time, same as what Joel, the prophet Joel had said, where God was going to do a work among young and old, Jew and non-Jew, and bring us together through Adonai and through Messiah. We have to align ourselves with that. When we resist what's in God's heart, you know what? It just brings trouble. So the spies were filled with fear. They were filled with unbelief, and they trusted their fear. They had faith in their fear. This is something you can examine yourself about. When you're in a fearful circumstance or a a situation that you don't know how it's going to turn out, It could turn out for good. It could turn out not so good. If you have perfect trust in your fear and the not so good, that's what you're expecting, and it won't be as good as it might be if you put your trust in the Lord. So they trusted their unbelief, and that's what spread through the community. And I think it's an important story about how problems of the heart, let's say problems of the heart, problems of the heart can affect our perceptions, our attitudes, our perspective, the way we communicate and what we say to others, our desires, our confidence, and what we end up doing and experiencing. Problems of the heart can actually destroy our strength, and our perseverance. The Scripture says in in one passage that the heart is deceitful. Let me say it another way. The heart can trick you. It's not always good to do what's in your heart if what's in your heart isn't good. The heart's not always trustworthy. And not only that, the assessments that we make when we have wayward hearts will also be off target. I want to encourage you to read this week's Torah portion, the Haftor portion, the Britachah, portions, and really explore for yourself the details and pay close attention to whatever gets your attention and study uh, more thoroughly those things that that capture your attention. Now, I believe there's real power in opening our hearts to the Lord. He can do more than we ask or imagine. More than we ask or imagine. I think Brendan was realizing that today when he had a long portion to read. Rick had a long portion to read today. A little bit more than you were asking for. But you know, you you put your heart into it, you put your effort into it, more than you ask or imagine, sometimes means we've got to rise up to the occasion, yes? But it also means he can do exceedingly abundantly better than we're expecting. 
God can also help prepare us for our own effective action. And that way, He does His part, and we do our part, and we are working effectively together and in concert together. That's one of the reasons why I was encouraged by Liz's email, because she was showing how different people were doing different parts, and it was working together for good. I want to look at a portion from the Brita in Matthew. We'll look in Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. Yeshua went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Where did he teach? In the towns and villages, in the synagogues. In the synagogues? Yep. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, and then he said to his disciples, to his Talmudim, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's pay attention to that. What's the condition of the harvest? It's plentiful. It's ripe. But the workers are few. That's right. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. So Yeshua saw this as a great opportunity. He recognized the opportunity, he described it, and he described the bottleneck or the, the limiting factor or the constraint that they were facing. The bottleneck was limited human resources. And then he expressed what to do to overcome the bottleneck. Here's the action step. It's in verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. So this tells us something, that when, when we face a situation with limited resources, we can pray to the Lord about that. That's what Yeshua was saying. And he gives them an action step. It's prayer, it's targeted prayer. It's not that generic kind of prayer that if it were answered, you wouldn't even know. It's very specific. Ask the Lord, the Lord of the harvest. Let's, let's name him, the Lord of the harvest. Lord of the harvest, send out workers into the harvest. I remember praying like that at some point. And my prayer had another part to it. Lord, send him. Lord, send her. Send them. But this is a revelation about the Lord. He's the Lord of the harvest. And that makes sense. Shavuot is a harvest holiday, right? And Sukkot is a harvest holiday. So when we pray to the Lord about his agenda, when we pray about his priorities, we are lining ourselves up with him. And it's a very specific approach that we can all learn to pray the will of God and the heart of God, not my will, your will, Lord. So they prayed, they, 
were agreeing with the Lord. They were saying yes to what he sees, what he wants. And this is a way that all of us can learn to align our hearts and to align our priorities with God's heart and God's priorities. So there was a prayer direction. That was the first step. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. But the second factor to think about is why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Yeshua often saw this. He saw it's ready. The times are are right. People are ready, but the workers are not ready. So the workers have to learn to pray. And often the workers don't even recognize they're the workers. Now I want to connect this to the story of the spies sent by Moses. What did the Lord want to accomplish through the sending of the spies and what was meant to happen? Think about it. He wanted to give the land that he had promised to the children of Israel. He wanted to fulfill his promise to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. He wanted to fulfill his promise to Moses. He wanted to fulfill that which he said would come to pass. That's what he wanted to do. However, the spies, the ten spies, rejected that purpose. They forgot God's goals and priorities. They saw only obstacles. And it's a lesson for us as we watch and compare what happened with those ten spies and the effect they had on Israel versus the disciples of Yeshua and the effect they had on Israel. It's a lesson for us because Yeshua showed his disciples to see the obstacles, to recognize them, to face the obstacles with open hearts, with faith, with trust, with confidence in God, not just with fear, not just with unbelief, and not in denial of what the obstacles or challenges were, but honestly facing them and then trusting God because you already know what's in his heart and what he wants to do. And there was another thing that Yeshua was teaching us and teaching his disciples, and that was to offer themselves as willing servants of the Lord. Now, with that in mind, let's go to chapter 10 of Matthew and connect all this. Matthew 10, starting in verse 5, these 12 Yeshua sent out with the following specific instructions. So you know who the 12 are. These are the ones who Yeshua had told, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. And they'd been praying, Lord, send workers. They had been embracing what Yeshua was saying. But sometimes when we're praying in general, even when it's targeted, Lord, send someone, you know what? God hears it. He looks at our hearts and he says, okay, I'll send you. Have you ever found that experience? in your life? You're praying for a situation that you perceive clearly, and then the Lord says, and I want to use you. Now, before we go too far, let's remember this. The disciples were praying according to Yeshua's direction, send send workers. 
And then the Lord answered their prayers, and Yeshua sent them. They were praying, and the Lord, sent, you know, the Lord sent some people to work. And I, I think, well, I'll tell you how I used to describe it. I don't know if I've said this publicly, so it may sound a little brutal, but I, I've told Sandy this. There is something I call the divine grace of stupidity. You could soften it and you could say, it's the grace of naivete or the grace that comes when you don't have cynicism or a lot of experience. But that's not how I thought about it from my own experience. I thought of it as the grace that we have when we're stupid, when we don't know better. Because there have been times when I didn't know better and I was praying for the Lord to do something and he did it, but the way he did it engaged me and required more of me than I possibly could have imagined. I remember when we were in Rochester at Congregation Shema Yisrael and Jonathan Burnus was, was going overseas and um, he had done a great outreach, an unprecedented outreach in St. Petersburg, Russia. And from that, there was like the beginning of this new Messianic Jewish congregation, potentially. And as he was flying back home, he was thinking, someone's going to be needed to lead the congregation. And he was praying, you know, like, Lord, who could it be? And the Lord said, you. And at that point, I was like, oh, no. But sometimes you pray without knowing, and then the answer you do recognize. And there was a point when we were studying the book of Acts, the book of Matthew, and the book of Acts, and seeing the power of the good news. And I was praying, Lord, send him, send her. And then the Lord said, and what about you? And... Um, I was honest. I said, no, not me. I don't, you know, like, I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> yeah. And the Lord said, yeah, as Pat's saying, yes, you are. <laughs> and that's where the stupidity comes in because you think you know yourself. You think you know who you are and what you're about. You think you know the reality and the world you're living in. You think you know the plans that you have. But God knows more. And so sometimes we will pray, and grace will be upon us as we pray, and faith will be at work, not fear. And that's because we're still stupid. So be happy in that condition. Don't be afraid. Be happy about it. It's like you don't have to know everything in order to be called by God and to be sent. And sometimes you may be a little child who happily serves the Lord and you're not realizing as you're doing this that the Lord is making plans for your whole future. Back to the text. Yeshua continues with the specific instructions. 
Don't go into the road of the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, declare this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So Yeshua is calling his disciples to step into the unknown. And I think it's part of the adventure of the life of faith. We're not stuck in some dark cave somewhere. We're not stuck in a ghetto somewhere. It's more like the Starship Enterprise. To boldly go where no man has gone before. That's what God calls us to do. That's what he was calling the disciples to do. And he reminded them, freely you've received, freely give as we're freely giving through our podcast and through our live streaming, you know what? It's just the way that we're acting on the same thing. We've received freely, we're giving freely. Yeshua tells his disciples that what the lost sheep of the house of Israel need is what they have. Think about it, what other people need is what you have received from the Lord. You received it freely, so freely give it. Then verse 9, don't carry any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the road or second tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker is worthy of his provisions. Remember what the constraint was. It was not money. Yeshua said, look, he didn't say the harvest is plentiful, but we don't have enough money. He said the harvest is plentiful, we don't have enough workers. And now he's saying the worker is worthy of his provisions, and he's telling his disciples, go, but don't take money. Yeshua says, uh, travel light, don't take any money. Now, for some people... That may be easy, but for most of us, I think if we were told to, to go out of town with nothing, it would be a yikes moment. The constraint wasn't people in general, remember, it was specifically what? Workers. Yeshua wasn't looking just for more people, he was looking for people who would work in the harvest. And what does that mean? It means the Lord wanted to do good for people. The kingdom of God was part of Yeshua's message. It was good news. God was overturning the damage in people's lives. We live in a broken and damaged world. Can you confirm that? All around us are signs of the brokenness and the damage. And people are also broken and damaged. The messianic hope is for healing, it's for repair, it's for redemption and renewal, for the restoration of what's broken, for bringing back what is lost. That is all part of the message of Messiah. Now there's a parallel account in Luke 9 that describes in verse 6 what the disciples experienced. They set out, they went from village to village, they proclaimed the good news, and they healed people everywhere. 
So the disciples set out, they went, because their hearts were open to receive assignments, they were open to follow instructions, they were open to the purpose and goals because they saw what God wanted to do as Eric was talking about. This, the way that we see God affects so much. They were open and they proclaimed in very clear terms, the good news. They healed people everywhere. And this is what I noticed, that the hearts of Yeshua's disciples were enlarged and strengthened. They received what Yeshua had in his heart. That will make a person strong. You may look at yourself and say, you know, I'm sort of weak, or you may say, I'm depressed, or I don't have what it takes. But I can tell you, one of the remedies for this is to fellowship with the Lord and to receive what's in his heart and say yes to him, even when you know you don't have the power to do it, when you say yes to the Lord, he'll start working in your life and give you power. You'll become stronger. Now let's go for just a few more minutes. The kids need to be picked up in five minutes, I think, so we're not going to go any further than that. We're going to go to Luke chapter 9, verse 7. When Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, this is all part of the story, he was perplexed or troubled because some people were saying that Yochanan, John, had, ris <coughs> had risen from the dead. Others were saying the prophet Elijah had appeared, and still others were saying that some other prophet of old had arisen. And Herod said, this is verse 9, I cut off John's head. So who's this man I keep hearing things about? Herod kept trying to see Yeshua. So Herod had beheaded John. That's the backstory. Yeshua's disciples in their open hearts are all the more significant given the context. It was a dangerous situation. There was real risk. They had been given an assignment to proclaim the kingdom of God. And you have to understand this, that proclaiming the kingdom of God was dangerous because it was a denial of Rome's ultimate authority. It was a declaration that God, not Caesar, was the most powerful and the ultimate authority. And you know what Rome did with such people? Killed them. Killed people who denied Rome's ultimate authority. So the disciples said yes in that context. Verse 10. Then the apostles returned and reported to Yeshua all that had been done, taking them away privately. Yeshua withdrew to a town called Bethsaida, but the crowds found out and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. He welcomed them. He spoke to them about God's authority and the benefits of having a healthy relationship with God. He healed those who needed healing. As the day neared its end, the twelve came to Yeshua and said, Dismiss the crowd so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside for lodging and provisions, for we're in a desolate place here. And then Yeshua said, You give them something to eat. 
And they said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. And there were about 5,000 men in that group, in that crowd. And this is what Yeshua told them to do. Have them sit down in groups of about 50. So they did so, and everyone was seated. And remember this, the disciples are still open-hearted. They continue to receive Yeshua's instructions, and they do what he asked them to do. And I think that's because they had hope. They had faith. They had positive attitudes and expectations. And verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Yeshua spoke a blessing. He broke them, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So he gives thanks, and I think it's so great, the example he's giving us. He's giving thanks for the limited resources. And he's not saying, we don't have enough. He's saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you bless us with bread, you bless us with fish, you bless us with people willing to serve. Thank you that you bless us with opportunity. And it's such a great example. And if you start thanking God for any area of your life that still has limited resources, you'll find God will respond to you. Give thanks for what you have. And then verse 17, they all ate. How many people were there? 5,000, at least 5,013. Right? They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. How many disciples were working then? 12. Each one picked up a basketful that was left over. Now, there's a poverty spirit in a lot of people, afraid to give away, afraid to share. They think if I give away, I'm not going to have any for myself. They think it's like the world is like this pie, and if you share it, you've got to cut your slices in smaller, smaller pieces. But actually, it's more like a candle with a flame. You don't diminish the candle when you use that candle to light another one. You just increase the flame. Freely you've received, freely give. And in the end, there's more left over than they started with. Not only did they have enough, they had more than enough. I'm going to close with a simple thought. that's based on the fact that the 12 disciples were involved in the cleanup after the hospitality. Now, we have a great hospitality ministry in the Shalom Center. I want us to learn something here that it's great to enjoy, it's great to support, it's also great to help with the chores of cleaning up. And this is because the ministry of Messiah is not a restaurant, it's a mishpocha. It's a family. And in a family, everyone pitches in and does the chores. So we're going to figure out some things so we can have a little bit more structure and schedules and everyone can help with cleanup 
It's really easy if we all do it together. I don't mean all of us clean up. I mean we take turns, so we'll have some structure so we can be parts of teams that take turns. And everyone can participate. When you do this, you learn to work together, to serve together, and you experience the blessings of God in a greater and greater, greater way. More on that to come. And you can test your heart right now if you think, you know, I don't want to go to the Onegs anymore. I might have to carry out the trash. Then just understand you got the heart of one of the ten spies. That's how it works. It's insidious like that. Oh, that sounded rough, didn't it? I know, I didn't mean it exactly like that. Let's say you're being tempted in that direction. Don't give in to that. Give in to that heart. I want to be a blessing. I want to thank the Lord for opportunity. I want to do my part. And I want to stand together with my mishpocha and do what I can with hospitality too. Let's close. We're called to be a blessing. We're called to Yeshua's light, to let the light that the Lord gives us be a blessing to others. It's amazing how it works. It works also with the good news. Matthew 10, verse 40, Yeshua said, He who receives you, receives me. He who receives me, receives the one who sent me. That's the miracle of the kingdom of God and how God can use you when you have an open heart and you say, Lord, I want to be a blessing to others. That's what we want in our heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your heart. We don't want the closed hearts of the spies to rule us. We want the open hearts that your apostles had. Help us keep our hearts open. Fill our hearts, Lord, with the knowledge of God and the whole earth could be filled with your glory. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.